All right, I am Haggai Davis III, along with Haggai Davis II, and we'd like to welcome you to Tech Gumbo. Our show is a conversation about the past, present, and future of all things technology that we like to keep topical, interesting, and digestible. We want to thank our sponsor, Cardinal Capital, for making this possible. Cardinal Capital connects businesses to capital. It doesn't matter what business that you are in, Cardinal Capital has the resources all across the United States that are willing to help fund organizations of all sizes, life cycles, categories, and locations. Cardinal Capital works with you to craft the best commercial finance package for you to achieve your business goals. Whether you're looking to refinance current debt because of the new government programs and favorable interest rates, or finance new equipment, or maybe you're trying to acquire another business entirely, Cardinal Capital has the resources to make it happen. When lenders cannot do a loan, they seek out Cardinal Capital to help. The Cardinal Capital guys are easy to work with and fun to be around. Contact them today at 225-308-3700 or send them an email at info at cardinalcap.net and they'll be happy to help you with your commercial finance needs. So each week we take a listener question about a topic that they were interested in. They went to our website, techgumbo.net, and went to the question of the week tab and submitted the question because they wanted to get a big old beautiful Tech Gumbo mug that we so enjoy sending out for free. This week's question is, how much should I pay for internet access? That's a great question. And there's really not one answer for it. It really comes down to what are you getting and where are you? There's a couple of different variables that make this number up, and we're going to go through them now. Yeah, the, the bottom line, you should be paying the median price for internet access across the U.S. as of November of 2022 is about 70, 75 bucks a month, something in that ballpark. And that's going to depend very heavily on some key determining factors. So the first one is the internet speed. How fast of the internet do you want? Do you really need to be streaming uh, multiple different Netflix shows at the same time on different devices, or is it just you? The next one is what type of internet connection do you have? Are you on fiber? Are you on cable? Are you using DSL or even something slower? That's going to really impact what you're being charged. Another one is availability. If you're in an urban market, a large urban market likely has two competitors. And so you'll have better options for lower prices. But if you're in some place that isn't quite as fortunate, then you likely just have one option. If then you're in an urban area, all right, it should still be decent. But if you're in a rural area, it's just more expensive to get internet out there. Another really big and important factor is the installation, the equipment, and hidden slash extra fees. A lot of times these internet service providers will charge you for, we're going to put a modem, our our modem out there and our router and our Wi-Fi access point, and we're going to charge you $8 a month for this, $9 a month for that, $6 a month for this, and all of a sudden you're paying upwards of $20 plus a month for hardware that you could go to the big box store and buy for $75 one time. Another one is price hikes. Maybe the first six months or the first year is very cheap, but after that, then the prices go way up. Be on the lookout for those. Then data caps. A lot of times internet service providers will say, okay, you get up to a certain level 
you can use 200 gigabits of data for the month or, or whatever that level is. And then after that, then they're going to charge you double what they would have been charging you up to that point or triple depending upon what deal you've negotiated for. And the last one is an annual contract. There are some which require you to you sign it and then you are going to pay that amount every month for the entire year. Some contracts can cancel early without paying the early termination fees. So you've got to read the fine print. If you can find one that does not lock you into a long-term plan, do that. If you can find one that's a 90-day contract or a six-month contract, that's usually fine. You get into two, three, four years and the prices change dramatically with the internet over time. Typically, the price goes down for the same 100 megabits of throughput is going to be a lot less expensive. But instead of staying with 100 megabits, now they're going to offer you 500 megabits for what they were charging you for $100. So look for those kinds of, of opportunities to stay in contact with your internet service provider. Another one is negotiate. A lot of times, if you call and say, all right, you know, uh, I'm thinking about switching over to the to your competitor, I just I want to go over to the competitor, they'll sit there and they'll say, oh, what if we were to give you a discount on this? What if we were to give you better that? Haggle with them. You have a conversation. Really stick to your guns and see what they're willing to offer you because chances are they'll give you a better deal just to keep you. Absolutely. If you've not talked to your internet service provider at least annually put a put a calendar reminder that once a year talk to your internet service provider say hey look been a year since i've talked to you have the rates changed i guarantee you they have and probably in your favor if you you'll get more bandwidth for the the amount that you're currently paying it's not going to go the other way around but if you've locked yourself into a four-year deal or a three-year deal because you didn't want that price hike. Okay, that's fine. But again, talk to your internet service provider. Ask them, hey, can I get more bang for my buck? And chances are you're going to get a, a good answer. So we want to thank the listener for sending us that question. It was a good question. Great discussion. We will be sending out that big, beautiful tech gumbo mug with the logos on it. If you're interested, in a, in a mug. We'd love to send you one for free. Come to our website, techgumbo.net, and go to the question of the week tab. We'll send you our, a mug. So the big story we want to cover in this segment today focuses around the metaverse, starting off with Meta's metaverse and what they're doing or not doing with it. And what they're not doing is any kind of moderation and kids are the ones who are really getting hammered by this. Yeah, this is a platform which is in a lot of ways being marketed at kids under the age of 18, under the age of 13. And Meta is taking a very hands-off approach. The global affairs president has said that their strategy is like being the owner of a bar. If a patron is confronted by an uncomfortable amount of abusive language, they'd simply leave rather than expecting the bar owner to monitor their conversations. I'm not sure that that's actually true. If I was in a bar and someone was harassing me, I think I would try and get a manager to say, hey, look, can you throw this jerk out? That's how good Absolutely. bars operate. 
Yes, I mean, if I have a nice seat and I'm I'm very comfortable in where I are and the bar somewhat crowded and somebody's being belligerent and yes, I'm gonna stand up and say, excuse me. I'm first gonna ask that person to to moderate their own self, and when they don't, then I'm gonna get management involved because I don't want to leave if I'm having a good time and enjoying where I am, but I don't want my kids hearing you blaring on with everything in the world that you're sitting there saying, whether it's profane or pornographic or whatever it is you're saying that I don't want my family exposed to. Yeah, I'm not just going to get up and leave. Yeah, that's such a strange and just out of touch comment. And it really underlies their entire policy here, because I would say that you should have more of a responsibility because at least if you're in a physical environment, it doesn't feel as close to you but in a virtual environment it's so much more hard to separate out and there's just so many other places where we see this failure there's research coming out from the center for countering digital hate which is an advocacy group focused on technology companies and and their research is showing that kids are really being exposed to a lot of aggressive prejudicial sexually explicit conversations and these things are they're targeting at young people and this is not what you want your kids exposed to yeah so that to make sure we're being clear the metaverse is targeted at younger people but because there's no content moderation they're coming across all kinds of things and right now there's a lot of momentum around making sure we're very careful about what kids can and cannot see, this would be an excellent place to direct a lot of that energy. Meta does have very explicit rules that say sexual content and promotion of illegal drugs or extreme violence are banned, but nobody's there to really stop them. That's just in the T's and C's that you you scan past when you're creating your account There's not a rolling scroll on the top of the page that says you can't do this and their tools aren't out there listening to everything that's being said. So they're not trying to stop it. And it's it's just really, really disappointing where this whole metaverse is headed. Oh, absolutely. Some of the research put out by the Center for Countering Digital Hate found in 100 incidents, 66 of them happened to users who appear to be under the age of 18. So two-thirds of the incidents that got reported were happening to kids. And we need to be protecting our children. We need to be making sure that when they're going online, that we have rules in place, we have guardrails and boundaries to protect them. And it's fascinating because Facebook or Meta is still pushing all in, but other companies, not so much. In a pretty expected move, both Disney and Microsoft have closed their meta projects, their meta divisions in the past couple months. They both spent lots of money. They both hired lots of people and they have both laid off a whole lot of people, 11,000 people at one company and 10,000 at the other because they're just ending these projects. And so uh, another metaverse is the Decentraland. This is another one of those virtual world companies. They, for whatever reason, sell real estate inside of their virtual company. The price has declined 90% from a year ago. We very much saw the bubble of 
you had NFTs and you had crypto and you have the metaverse and all these things tied together. And we've seen crypto crumble. We've seen NFTs crumble. And in a lot of ways, I think we're seeing the metaverse crumble as well. But it's fascinating because Mark Zuckerberg had a conference call with folks from the Wall Street Journal. And during this call, they counted AI or artificial intelligence was mentioned almost 30 times, but the word metaverse was barely five or six times. And in his, so if he's talking more about AI than metaverse, and everybody else in the world is talking more about AI than metaverse, what does that lead you to believe? Oh, absolutely. This is, we are very much now in the era of the big hot thing is GPT, it is BARD, it is these large language models, this artificial intelligence, this is where all the money is going because it's much more plausible, it's much more tangible, the real world impacts are nearer term. It makes absolute sense why this is the thing that is growing and sucking all the oxygen out of the room and no one wants to talk about the metaverse or do anything with the metaverse because there's not really anything to do with it even though a few of the companies that are still trying to hang on in epic and apple they're trying to do things where they're allowing you to take meta and build into their games kind of experiences hoping that you'll want to do more inside the metaverse using their games but i don't know that it's really working well, the, they're just getting underway here. And so the Epic vision makes sense to me. Epic Games is a video game development company. And so they know software development. They know graphics. They know all these kinds of things. I get what's happening there because also they're trying to put video games into the virtual world. This is okay. I now see if I'm buying the Epic Games headset, it's I'm a it's a video game platform. And they also have the tools so that users can go in and create their own kind of virtual stuff. And all right, you know, I see what Epic's vision is for it. And some people have said they've played some of the stuff that's early on, but it looks kind of good. And that's whenever you think about Fortnite and Roblox. Those are already communities that have a lot of user-generated content, and they have ways for the users to make money if other people are playing the user-generated content. All right, like I see what Epic's getting at here. It's a very well-built vision. It's concise. It's not just this, well, the metaverse is this broad, expansive everything. Because whenever you can't define what it is, whenever you're doing too many things, you're not actually doing anything. But that just sounds like a video game that you can do with your VR goggles, not a metaverse. And so maybe you can change or alter the experience a little bit and have some other people come in. But that, again, sounds like playing Fortnite. Yes, and I really think that's how we should be thinking about the metaverse because every other description of it is basically just the internet but you're wearing a headset and if i just have the internet but i'm wearing a headset why do i need the headset why can't i just go on the internet i think that's the best lens to view these things and that's the problem that's why none of these things have caught on is having to put on a headset to go to 
ESPN or to go to Reddit or go to the places that I normally go on the internet doesn't significantly enhance my experience. I guess not. And kind of like the game Minecraft back from when you were a kid. It still exists. It's still very popular. And and that never made a whole lot of sense to me. Okay, I'm just going to sit here and just add blocks and add blocks and build things and just and I've created my own little world unless I invite you into my Minecraft world. So it is. It's it's digital Legos. That to me, I don't see a whole lot of difference between Minecraft and, and the metaverse. I think the metaverse has been so very poorly defined. There's a lot of different definitions and that's because no one of them has really got any traction because it doesn't it doesn't provide value yet. And interestingly enough, Apple has said or has hinted very strongly, they haven't officially announced it, but has hinted very strongly that they're going to release a VR headset sometime this year, but it's expected to cost between two and three thousand dollars. And all the analysis that we could find on it just said, oh, well, Apple's customers buy Apple's hardware, and so Apple's going to make money on it. No one ever said what Apple would do differently, why their product would somehow learn from the mistakes of Meta's product or some of these other ones, what they were going to do different, what they were going to do better. It was just, oh, well, Apple's clientele will buy Apple products, and so Apple will cash in the two to $3,000 piece of hardware. I'm still very skeptical of this device, what it will do. I'm sure it's a fantastic piece of hardware, but I've yet to see anyone sell sell me on why I need it, what it's going to do for me, how it's going to improve either my job or my fun. But it's going to have the Apple logo on it, so that's why it's worth $3,000. Yeah, well, I I am a... Recording this on a, a Microsoft laptop and have my Google uh, phone in my other hand, so the Apple Apple uh, cache is not caught on with me. Likewise, I, I I have the iPhone, but it's the only Apple product that I have. So, one last kind of parting story: the new feud, as it is, between ChatGPT and Bard. Apparently, one of the top researchers at Google left Google and he's going to work for AI for open AI because he said Bard's just sitting there reading chat GPT. Yeah, this is a pretty strong allegation. And now Google has come out and strongly denied this claim. They said that Bard is not trained on any data from chat GPT and that you know they've done all their own homework that they're not copying, we promise. And so it's Without being able to look underneath the hood, we haven't seen any sort of updates or developments on this to lean one way or the other. But yeah, I think that classification of this as the new feud that you have OpenAI, which is strongly backed by Microsoft, and Google, which has barred, this is going to be a fascinating battle, which I think is really going to shape a lot of the next decade, is these two products. Yeah, when you sit there and and look at these these big old companies with these big big valuations, and now the game is changing on them very quickly, and people are jumping from one ship to the other in both directions. I'm sure because because this one doesn't feel good over here, and that one didn't feel good over there. Yeah, it's going to settle down, and people are going to figure out where they need to ultimately be and where they want to be, but. I just think it's fascinating that 
that somebody who is a top level researcher openly went out and said, I'm out of here. And we want to thank General Informatics for sponsoring our show. General Informatics is an information technology firm with a mission. And that mission is to make our clients even more successful through the best use of technology. Based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, General Informatics is a premier IT managed services provider delivering exceptional managed IT solutions to a diverse base of customers from Texas to the Carolinas. From the beginning, we have maintained our commitment to meeting the growing needs of our clients through the continuous use of innovation. With over 20 years of experience and a team of 120 plus employees, including technicians, engineers, programmers, and designers, GI has evolved to become the leading IT partner of businesses, schools, and government agencies. Our managed services teams can run your digital infrastructure or support your team on an on-demand basis, letting you focus on your business's strength. This has become a proven formula, so proven that 98% of our clients continue to do business with us year after year. Whether you need new IT services, new technology, or you just have a question, visit us on the web at geninf.com. And if you enjoyed our show today, we're here on Talk 107.3 FM every Saturday at 4, and the show will rerun Sunday at 4. If you missed any part of our show or you would like to hear any of the previous episodes, check out our podcast, which is available on most every platform, including Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podcast Attic, Overcast, Player FM, and more. And when you're there, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified every time a new episode is posted. If you like our show, if you have some suggestions or want to submit a question, let us know by visiting our website, techgumbo.net. Thank you for listening to Tech Gumbo.